All right, I want you to imagine the following scenario. You go into work, and you have something on your mind. You've been working on this startup idea, and you want to focus on it full-time because it's starting to get traction. But you don't want to lose the security of your current job. If only you could go away for six months to really give it a go. So you build up the courage to go and talk to your boss, and you say, look, I've got this startup. I really believe in it. It's at an exciting moment. And I would like to spend six months giving it my best. And if it doesn't work out, I'd like to have my job back. And the boss looks at you and says, that sounds great. We totally support that. Not only does your boss support that, but the government does too. Okay, you, you might be thinking that I just talked about my dream last night, but this is real. <laughs> it was recently covered in a BBC article titled, Sweden's Surprising Rule for Time Off. I had to pinch myself to make sure it was real. And based on my further research, Sweden seems to be the only country that offers a legally enshrined right to take time off for entrepreneurship. Beyond that, in Sweden, people are expected to have a balance in their employment, not just in terms of balancing their personal lives, but also balancing other things that are important to them or mean personal growth for them. And starting a new business is a part of that. I decided to get in contact with the reporter of the story to find out more about this rule and Sweden's overall attitude on time off. That led me to Maddie Savage. She's an award-winning British journalist who enjoyed a decade-long BBC career in London before relocating to Stockholm after falling in love with Scandinavia through a few foreign assignments. She's been voted one of the 100 most impactful and influential people in the Nordic startup scene, thanks to her coverage on tech and innovation. She's since been covering for BBC, NPR, Monocle, and the Huffington Post with a focus on Swedish business, current affairs, and lifestyle trends. She's also the host of the Stockholmer podcast, which are these awesome 15-minute conversations with inspiring creatives and entrepreneurs. Enjoy our conversation about Swedish culture. You may just want to move there as bad as I do now. I listened to a few episodes of your podcast, which I believe is pronounced the Stockholmer podcast. Correct. Yeah. So you interview, I would, I would say like makers. I think you formally say creatives and entrepreneurs in um, Sweden's capital. That's right. Yeah. Why did, why did you start that? I've been living in Stockholm since 2014. I originally moved here to work for the local Sweden, which is Sweden's English language newspaper. I was the editor of that after 10 years working as a reporter and presenter for the BBC in London. And what I found was that as I kind of tapped into Swedish society and was increasingly covering stories about entrepreneurship and innovation for the local, I felt that there was a need to have a space for some of the more personal stories uh, behind uh, these kind of successes. A lot of people have heard of the likes of Skype and Klarna and Spotify and some of these big um, startups coming out of Stockholm. But I could really see a lot of creativity and innovation bubbling beneath the surface. And although the Swedish media uh, was sometimes profiling the, the faces and the names behind 
these startups. There wasn't really a space for them in the English language media, and there certainly wasn't the time for me to do that while I was at the local, where it was just me and one other journalist having to produce 10 articles between us every day. Um, so I started the Stockholm podcast as a way of um, giving more information about these entrepreneurs. So they're 15-minute episodes record on, recorded on location, so inside uh, the kitchens or the studios or the offices where people are making stuff, coding, designing um, their different products and, and building their businesses. And, yeah, it's, it's run for three different seasons, and I'm currently mulling whether there'll be a, a fourth season. But certainly, having grown up in London, which is a very dynamic and, and buzzing city, uh, moving to Stockholm was, was something a bit different. There's, there's a real culture of entrepreneurship here and a real culture of uh, collaboration. I think because of that collaboration, people were really open to, to share their stories and um, of both successes and, and failures with others in English. And the podcast has proved to be a really good tool for them to do that. What would you say compared to London or compared to other places you've been in the world, what is the culture and vibe there and, and how is it different from other places? There's a bunch of different things. I was actually going over some of my articles from last year recently and one of them I wrote about, one of them was had the title, Is Boasting Good or Bad for Business? Now, there's this thing in Sweden called uh, Jentelagen, the law of Jente. And basically, this means that you shouldn't consider yourself to be any better than anyone else. And how this kind of permeates into business and society is that there isn't so much showing off. Business isn't so brash, isn't so bold. People don't drive around with flashy sports cars or suddenly become inaccessible when they become rich. There is a much more of a, like I said, collaborative uh, approach to things. And I think that is a really core difference between Sweden and, say, the UK and, and the US. Um, there are definitely very successful and, and rich people here, but um, you don't hear them shouting about it as much. And for me, that's very refreshing. Um, that can have its downsides as well. Some people have argued that it, it can hamper entrepreneurship because people feel um, funny about pushing their ideas. They're not so confident in pitching. Um, so there's, there's pros and cons, but it's certainly something that you, you feel. Then there's the gender equality. Uh, as a woman working in the media in the UK um, for the first 10 years of my career, I definitely still felt that it was it was a male world. And while in Sweden, it is still the case to some extent, and there is still a, a pay gap here, you do see a lot more powerful women in senior roles. Um, there are a lot more iconic women in business, and that's a really fascinating atmosphere to operate in. I've never felt belittled or put down because of my gender here, or very rarely. Um, whereas in London, I think it was probably more... Um, more everyday sexism and discrimination across the board in society, not necessarily just uh, in the media. And then all of the stuff that makes Sweden successful when it comes to business is a lot to do with its history. So it's a small country with just 10, 10 million people. But it, came, it became very digital very early on. So in the 90s, there were lots of uh, schemes to make sure that everybody had a home computer, uh, broadband, fast broadband, even to very remote areas. So people uh, are very tech savvy and got very well connected very quickly. 
And so it became a place where people were early adopters of different trends and apps and techs and tech. And that's why a lot of people say, you know, Spotify flew here, for example. And so that is still very much the case. It's, it's a very digital, very tech savvy place. Um, and it is fascinating. You, you sort of get used to it when you when you've been somewhere like this for a long time. But for instance, I was in the States a couple of months ago and, you know, Wi-Fi isn't actually available everywhere. And, you know, there are places where you can't get an Uber or a Lyft, whereas in, in, in Sweden, places and, and people are very, very well connected digitally. And I think that really helps to facilitate a, a strong working environment for, for startups and businesses. All three of those are incredibly refreshing. And I'm hoping that this is one conversation of many to where whether it's the UK or the US, in certain things that we're getting more and more signals that it's, it's not working or it's not healthy, that we can look not to directly copy some things that are doing, but maybe some analogous inspiration of the things there. And speaking of refreshing, there was an article you recently wrote that stopped me in my tracks. And I'll, I'll read a quote for the, the audience to help describe some of this article. So for the last two decades, full-time workers with permanent jobs have had the right to take a six-month leave of absence to launch a company, or alternatively to study or to look after a relative, let's say. And bosses can only say no if there are crucial operational reasons that they can't manage without this staff person, or if the new business is viewed um, as direct competition so they can't leave and you know, create a direct competitor. And employees are expected to be able to return in the same position as previously. I like, I had to read this multiple times to make sure that this was real. <laughs> How did you find out about this and what made you want to draw attention to it? I found out about it simply because it just comes up in conversations, especially because I'm plugged into the entrepreneurial and startup community. I found out that a lot of people had applied for it. When I was at the local, I applied for it and I was turned down um, for unpaid leave because I was starting the Stockholm podcast, which the media company I was working for viewed as potentially a competitive product. So I lost out on unpaid leave, but very much um, reaping the benefits of being a freelancer and have watched a lot of people uh, build up their businesses while taking this formal leave of absence. So there are some caveats. One is that you can't do it if it's seen to be a competitive business you also have to have been working for your employer for at least six months before uh, taking the leave you can only take this type of leave once per employer so you can't just try out multiple businesses and you need to give your employer at least three months notice um, but this is something that it's enshrined in law so it's not just up to the goodwill of your boss or you've been at this company for four or five years you've done a good job okay we'll, we'll give you a chance to to go and try something new it's something that they're really not supposed to say no to and due to a very heavily unionized uh, working culture here and the fact that this is enshrined in, in legislation this means that it it does really work and anyone that tries out a business and then decides to go back to their old job, it's also enshrined in law that they shouldn't be penalized. So they shouldn't miss out on any pay rises or opportunities to apply for promotions. They shouldn't be sidelined once they come back. Clearly, there might be some differences depending on the employer and those personal relationships. But it seems as if, um, as the law has been put together, they've, they've tried to think about all of the potential um, ramifications of, of what could happen if somebody leaves and then comes back and, and sort to mitigate 
any of these potential problems. So what I love about it, when I read it, I immediately thought, well, A, in here in the US, I've started multiple software companies in in my history, and there is very little incentives for people that are branching out to to start uh, a company. It's very, very risky in this in this environment. In fact, you're almost like given endless reasons of why you shouldn't do it. And when I read this, I said, okay, not only is this good for entrepreneurship, but let's look at it from the company's perspective. If I was an entrepreneur, one of my employees came to me saying, and they met these requirements that you mentioned, and they say, hey, I want to go off and, and do X, Y, or Z project. At the best, they do it, they become successful, and they are an alum of our company, and they've gone off and done this amazing thing. At the worst, it doesn't work for them, and they come back into the company as a, I would look at it as a more trained entrepreneur, which is going to help out our company, and maybe we give them more projects. Uh, is that is that a, that's the way I looked at it. Is that kind of the, the mindset for some of the employers? I'm trying to think about the listeners, Maddie, that are own businesses, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I see the value in that. I would say so. I would say that. And speaking to academics and unions and employers and people that have tried this out, a lot of people say that it fits into this idea of balance and work-life balance that exists in Sweden. So first of all, if you want to run a business, you know, if you're doing that for six hours every night after you go home from work, you're, you're probably not going to be as productive in, in your day job. So by giving the employee time off, it gives them the space to do that. But it's also about balance in terms of having the chance to pursue passions and interests and, and, and gain new skills that are important for you as a person. And a lot of people view the unpaid leave system to start a business as tapping into that. And speaking to, to people that have gone off and done it, one of the case studies I featured in the article, she worked for a charity. She had gone off to try and launch a, a virtual assistant startup. Uh, she was really living the kind of entrepreneurial dream, working in Sri Lanka to escape the, the cold, harsh Nordic winter. But she wasn't making enough money and she wants to get on the housing ladder. So she needs to have uh, a permanent stable job in order to apply for a mortgage. She's very open about that. And she's going back to her old job. And she says her boss is very excited about having her back. She feels that she's learned new skills while she's been away. And actually, her managers have said they're going to try and give her some slightly different tasks so that she doesn't feel as, as stuck as she was uh, before she felt the need to go off and, and start her own business. And she's still planning to build it slowly on the side. So I think the fact that this has been running for, for a while and, and people have, um, have, have tried and failed uh, means that also entrepreneurs that want to go off and do this now, they can see those people returning to their jobs and not being penalized. And that really sets a good standard and a good image. And I think that's something that other countries or other companies that were looking to test out unpaid leave, they, they would need to really watch closely and think carefully about because um, I think it's having those role models within companies as well as outside companies that have gone off and made it that are integral to making sure that the system keeps functioning as it does. So I feel like there's some real kernels of cultural difference here. Like some, of hmm. my fr some of my friends that I've talked to from other Nordic regions, like when I talked to them about this podcast and the book that I'm writing, they're kind of like, 
yeah, that's obvious. Like, why are you, why are you, why are you covering this topic? Like rest? Yeah, of course it's essential. And like that, that's, we live that. Whereas I'm like, well, yeah, I, I'm trying to tell your story so that some of the parts of the world that sort of subscribe to this idea of overwhelm and overwork can, can maybe be shown a, a better example. Like, what is it about the Swedish culture that it's like, it's almost a given that people deserve balance that, you know, that's something to not take away from them. Like what about it is, is different? Mm, I think there's a lot of different factors. What I can do to start off with is just share a little bit of my experience. So uh, when I first moved to Sweden, I turned up for an event. A friend was uh, putting on an art show in a gallery and I turned up at quarter to seven in the evening and I still had like my bag, my laptop in, in you know, the clothes I'd worn to work. And my Swedish friends were like, oh, have you come straight from the office? You, you worked until 6.30? Because most of them finish at five. They'd gone home, they'd had a snack, they'd got changed, they'd come back into town. That's how different it is. If I text my UK group in a WhatsApp group uh, on a Sunday saying, oh, guys, I've, I've had a really busy week this week, it's almost like a competition. Me too. You know, someone texts a photo of their, you know, desk full of papers and a glass of wine next to it this is my Sunday night reading and it, it almost becomes a competition here it is it's frowned upon people really value time with family they value time in the outdoors and they really see balance as, in, as a, an important part of life now that's not to say that there aren't people that work around the clock and particularly in the startup space and in the entrepreneurial world there are people that you know definitely put in more than their 40 hours but I think even within those communities what we see is that there are startup hubs popping up in the mountains so that people that love to ski can do a couple of runs in the morning and get that outdoor fix and get that break before they do their work and there are a lot of co-working spaces that offer yoga or um, mindfulness or workshops. All of this kind of cool stuff that you hear about the likes of Google and Yahoo doing, it is just kind of everyday life in big Swedish cities. It's hard to know how much is, is historical and how much is kind of ingrained. But I think a lot of it might be to do with the seasons. It's, it's very dark and cold here uh, in winter. And, you know, people want to go home and, and be cozy and, and the darkness can, can drain your energy. Um, and then when the summer comes, it's a really, really special time. So people leave work early and go out to swim and cycle and run and, and make the most of it. So I think the, the seasons partly play a role and also the gender equality. So the fact that fathers here in Sweden are automatically entitled to three months paid parental leave and it's a, it's a use it or lose it three months in fact what actually exists is 480 days to share between the two parents but one of the parents has to take at least three months or those three months are lost so what you get then is dads dropping their kids off at daycare in the morning or leaving early in the afternoon or if their kids sick they're the ones that go home to look after the kid and I think that also permeates into um, working culture it means that whether you've got kids or not it's more acceptable to, to go home early or to work flexibly or, or work from home some of my listeners reach out and they're like I'm all about this but my boss or my manager, like they just don't value work-life harmony, work-life balance, more time off, two weeks of vacation is more than enough from their perspective. Is leadership just as supportive 
I think it is the case that leaders in Sweden do value work-life balance. That is really seen as integral and that work-life balance might include time with family or time out in nature or if you're, if you're very successful in business, on your boat or in your summer house. So that does kind of trickle down. And I think Sweden is more of an egalitarian society anyway. There are a lot of flat, uh, less hierarchical businesses in Sweden. So if the boss is going home at five, then why shouldn't the intern go home at five and, and vice versa? And I've been in big corporate offices at 5.30 in the evening and there is no body there. It really is the case. I think people are still logging on later on the, in the evening and checking their emails. I think Swedes are becoming um, more plugged into that sort of 24-hour working culture, especially those working in global businesses. So I think that is something that is potentially a, a warning sign here in Sweden. And it, it is something that a lot of people are talking about. And some Swedes are still getting burnt out. But I think the fact that you can sort of maybe take some time off between finishing work at five so you can go home, have dinner, and then check your emails a little bit later, that is something that trickles down from, from the leadership to, to other members of the company. And when you're talking about switching off, I mean, I know people who literally turn their work mobile phone off, put it on their desk, and walk out of the office when they go on vacation. That's how unplugged they are wow. but, but then there's also others you know checking their emails at 11 p.m so speaking speaking of you know you've you've worked a lot in, in in media and been around startups what about your own time off do you do you have a good balance at the moment i would say i've definitely been influenced by being around people who prioritize work-life balance more um, and I try and have a rule that i don't work on weekends if i do it's either because i've had something major personal happen and that's delayed me um, or if it's just checking emails and doing a bit of organization to make um, my week ahead easier. So that's something that I really try and, and stick to. I try not to work after 6 p.m. in the evenings and um, the times when I do work longer days are usually connected to travel, um, either if I'm doing a story as a journalist in another Nordic city or if I'm traveling to uh, a tech conference so I do try and have my own form of balance but as a freelancer it, it can sometimes be tricky because projects come your way that are really exciting or really well paid and you don't want to turn them down because that might be the last chance you get to to do those or to, to work for a new client or whatever and I would say that at, at times I have found the the real focus on balance here a little bit frustrating and I, and I think I speak for other expats and international people working here as well sometimes you know if you're bidding for that interview and you can't reach somebody there's no out of hours press officer after five o'clock and sometimes socially as well your, your friends want to meet at five because that's when they've finished but I'm often very productive between between four and sort of six thirty in the evening so um, that's not necessarily easy for me to 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 meet them at that time so i think there's you know there's definite pros and cons but overall being around people who prioritize balancing work versus being around people in london for example where it's it can be something of a competition how many hours you've clocked up i mean i would absolutely choose the swedish way a hundred percent and my plan is to stick around here but if i moved elsewhere i think it would be 
quite hard to adapt to that very full-on um, way of, of working. I think really one key thing to point out is that it's not just about limited hours, it's about more flexible working here. And I think that there's a real culture of trust. So if you're working for a company and you need to stay at home because you're having something delivered, there is a real culture of trust that, well, you, you're at home, but you are going to work. Um, whereas I think in some other countries, that trust culture isn't isn't there as much. So I think from from the perspective of, of working for a particular business, that's something that's very different. And that's something that it, I think could take a while for, for other companies in different parts of the world to to bring that kind of trust on board. That's a really important point. Because I feel like sometimes clock time in terms of work is, is just sort of dogmatic. It's like, oh, well, you know, everyone works this amount of time. So that's what you must work. Whereas it's really like, well, what, what are we getting done? And so the, the trust around, well, whatever the objective is or the mission or the project scope, it's not a matter of how long you take to do it. It's just a matter of doing it well and however you need to do it in terms of an, an, your environment, but also time amount is sort of secondary. It's really just like, are you, are you achieving what we've set out to achieve and flexible in terms of how much time and where you accomplish it? I know a lot of people who are able to work from home one or two days a week or in the summer in particular, they go out to their summer cottages, much less an elite thing to have a, a summer home in Sweden than it might be in other parts of the world. A lot of them sort of hand built by grandparents or great grandparents. So people have a space where they go and they might take a couple of weeks vacation, but then they might also work from there for a week and, and they're trusted to do that. And so I do think that there is a bigger focus on output and there isn't this culture of, well, you can't leave the office until your boss has. Um, but even if that was the case, as I say, most of the bosses are, are leaving at sort of four <laughs> or five, even if they might log on later. So I'm imagining this, this network of friends and peers that you've made in Stockholm, like I'm imagining... <laughs> if you showed up with a handful of those people and then you met and maybe had a, a happy hour or a dinner with people from the UK that are more of this like grinded out, constantly working culture, what kind of things do you think the, the Swedish crew around, you know, balance and finding rest and time off, like what would be some of their hypothetical phrases that they would say to try to, to maybe provide some light or if someone from the, the the London side is like, oh, I feel, I'm feeling so burned out and like I, I need a break. Like what kind of advice would they be giving from, from their perspective since you spend time with that type of culture? The, the big buzz phrase here is don't hit the wall. And what I can say is that there are still cases of burnout in Sweden. And what is quite fascinating is that a lot of people suggest, um, I haven't sort of dug into the actual statistics around this but if you do finish work at five o'clock in Sweden there's often a lot of pressure to do more with your time to be sporty to keep up to date with politics to read books to paint your summer house to have a beautifully decorated interior in your home so, so some Swedes do end up getting burnt out even if they're working shorter hours which is an interesting point but when it comes to hitting the wall there are a lot of really high profile examples of business people 
in major roles that have done so. Even politicians, uh, the leader of the nationalist um, Sweden Democrat Party, they're a nationalist party, controversial in many ways, but they are um, the third largest party in Sweden right now. And their leader um, took, I think it was about six months of leave because he, he hit the wall, he had burnout. And so I think what Swedes would be able to say is, look, it's, there's no shame in hitting the wall. There's no shame in kind of struggling through. And I definitely think that mental health issues and stress are talked about a lot more here. I think things are shifting. It's, it's five years since I left the UK and from reading media there and speaking to people there, I do think that things are shifting. But certainly compared to how... Um, I mean, I once went to see a former manager 10 years ago to say that I thought I'd taken a little bit too much on, that I was coping, I was doing all right, but would it be okay um, if they didn't sort of put any brand new projects on my plate? And his words are, oh, you're stressed, Maddie. Well, everybody's stressed. You just need to deal with it. And I don't think that's how a Swedish manager would react. And I think if they did and you spoke to your Swedish friends about it, they would be telling you to report them to the union or to HR and that that's unacceptable. Whereas I feel like perhaps in US or UK media circles, people would just be like, oh, yeah, my boss is kind of like that, too. <laughs> um, so I think crucially it is that there is an openness here about talking about your feelings and your struggles and your stress levels. It's not seen as something shameful. Yeah, you're not you're not weak by bringing it up. It's just being vulnerable and real. Like that's very, that's a very free. I think so, but I mean, it, it does depend on the industry. There are a few industries here, notably finance and law, where I have met people who are still working long hours. A friend of mine was regularly working till uh, 10 p.m. in a corporate law firm here, dating a guy briefly who worked for a bank and he was you know, very unavailable and often had to do stuff at, at last minute. So there are still these pockets. And I think often it's because they're doing international business across time zones and they're working with stock markets and big global companies. It's, it's much harder to just disappear from 5 p.m. and not answer your emails. But in general, and particularly within Swedish companies, there is a, a very good culture that, that promotes work-life balance and encourages employees to come forward mm. if they have problems or if they're struggling. And I think the other point to add would be that because of the way the tax system and the social security system is structured here, if you do take time off work, it's a combination of of your employer and um, the Swedish social security system that's paying for you to be off work. So it's not, you know, if you're a small startup and your employer and, and your employee is really sick um, and, and can't come in, there are ways for you to sort of mitigate the cost of that. It's more like it's more of a sort of the state is helping people out. Yeah. And there are very high taxes here, but that helps provide a greater social security net for people mm -hmm. um, and there's also very very strong labor laws which means that it's very difficult to get sacked so if you are someone that's struggling with burnout or struggling with any other kind of mental health issues those shouldn't be a reason for you to to lose your job mm -hmm. and they shouldn't be a reason anywhere in this day and age but I think we all know that if there's you know somebody a bit difficult that keeps calling in sick and in a lot of other places, they might get pushed away. In Sweden, the laws, in theory, are around to prevent that. One thing I like to finish on is from a. I, I just want to be more enticed to come to come visit and check it out. Hmm. So, I really like how you have a 
a wide variety of creators on that you've covered on your podcast. And of course, a lot of people in the mainstream media here in the West would be familiar with Spotify and a sort of design driven culture and you know what they've what they've created there and they've definitely started some trends in the in the application space being uh, pioneers and mavericks there outside of mobile tech what are some really cool things in other creative pursuits and entrepreneurship that you've seen that from your perspective are unique and sort of trend setting uh, that other people could be excited about um, just curious from from all these wonderful visits you've had yeah, there's so much going on here. And I think the last couple of years have seen a real shift away from I can make a cool app that will help you color coordinate your wardrobe versus solution-based uh, tech and ideas. And so right now there's a real focus on sustainability and green issues. And I know that um, in a lot of other countries, those issues are still seen as a, a bit worthy, a little bit niche, but they're really mainstream. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, um, a new startup launched to offer charter package holidays for people to travel by train because Swedes are so aware of their carbon footprint right now. It's such a hot topic that people are trying to, to cut their flight times. Um, and so this startup has launched off the back of that to um, try and get people more engaged. Um, there's a food app here called Karma, which is all about rescuing recycled food. So you can go on the app and you can see which restaurants have different meals left over and you can go and collect them from like a really high end restaurant for sort of a quarter of the price. That's growing really quickly. It's spread from Sweden um, to the UK recently. What is that called again? Karma. Like, like, then, like, the um, Buddhist, like the Buddhist philosophy? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. With a K. And then also here in the Nordics, there are quite a w wide range of health-related apps. So Livesum is one that's been around for a while. All sorts of sort of fitness and health tracking measures. Natural Cycles, which is uh, it's the world's first formally certified um, contraception app. Um, there have been some controversies around this, but um, they have a bunch of data that basically helps women to regulate um, their temperature. So you put in your temperature every day and then it gives you red days and green days, which is basically when it's safe to have sex or not have sex and conceive. Also, people use it as a, a pregnancy um, tool if they want to know the best way to get pregnant. And I think generally the fact that there are I mean, women are still very underrepresented in tech in Sweden, but it's better than a lot of other places. So we're starting to see different kinds of solutions to, to more female health problems and, and life problems um, in a way that you're not necessarily seeing elsewhere. But also, I think in Stockholm, I mean, it's still at the forefront for a lot of different types of design and fashion and food is becoming an increasingly big thing here. It's still very, a very pricey place to eat out, but even in the five years since I've been here, um, you see um, a lot more restaurants popping up and it's becoming more of a culture for people to, uh, to go out for meals during the week uh, and not just at the weekend. That's somewhere where I think Sweden's probably been a bit behind um, other countries, but it's, it's kind of starting to catch up, which makes it um, more of a thriving place to be um, and to hang out in the evenings. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got to be an impartial journalists and I've got to give the downsides as well I mean it gets dark at 2 33 o'clock in November December uh, we've had heaps of snow recently which is really pretty but then leaves the streets um, covered in slush 
or covered in ice. I slipped while I was out running in the forest this morning. So, you know, there are downsides. And the fact that there is a very individualistic way of doing things here in the sense that you have this very strong social safety net, a lot of people would argue that family and community is a bit less important. Uh, around half of Swedish households are made up of uh, a single occupancy. So there are other discussions that go on here about loneliness and, and isolation. And some of the startups that are coming out of here uh, at the moment are also trying to tackle that problem. So there's one called Panion and one called Friendly. They're about trying to get people to make new friends based on their interests and, and values because a lot of Swedes tend to stick to their sort of high school crew um, even if they move to different cities, there's always sort of someone from your past there. So Swedes are identifying problems and, and trying to find solutions. But I think it's, it's really important to be balanced. It's a fantastic country to live in, but it's not necessarily always the utopia um, that people think it is. Although it's really cool for me to speak to people from other countries sometimes just to remind myself how lucky I am and how much further ahead it is than other places that I've lived or, or, or traveled to. So the, the, the weekend's coming up. What does your weekend look like in, in Sweden? How do you plan to, to spend your time off this weekend? Um, I'm a member of a running community. Uh, the club's called Sideline City. It's about 50% Swedes, 50% um, international people. And so almost every weekend, um, I love to start the weekend with them. Um, we meet at a really nice cafe and coffee shop in one of the creative districts of um, Stockholm. And we usually run for about 10K then come back and have a nice brunch or nice lunch. And then, yeah, the rest of the weekend can, can vary, really. Sometimes it's um, hanging out at a friend's house, uh, particularly in the winter. It's really nice to, to be cosy and someone cooks dinner and we have lots of candles and it's, it's very chilled and, and relaxed. And I might catch a movie or, or go for a walk on the Sunday. It really depends. I like to get involved in Swedish culture and go and see museums and exhibitions, but, you know, Sometimes you are just too tired from, from the working week or you haven't really been organized enough to plan. And actually, that's one of my New Year's resolutions for 2019 is to be a little bit more proactive in terms of dipping into the, the cultural scene and being the one that suggests things in my friendship group rather than just tagging along. Because sure. I am probably one of the ones that does work a little bit harder. And so, I mean, the other thing to say about Swedish society is that Swedes do plan. So uh, you also need to book your friends up a couple of weeks in advance um, <laughs> because they've, you know, you've got to fit around their gym time and their laundry time. And, and also, fun, random fact, I mean, gender equality is so kind of strong here that if a couple divorces, it pretty much is automatic that the kid lives with the dad every other week for the full week. So what you also get is if you have friends with kids and they're no longer with the, with the partner, um, or the father or the mother, then you can only see them every other week when their kids um, are not staying with them. Mm. Um, so that's quite quite an interesting concept. But I actually think it's a great one because it means particularly for, like in the UK, kids still tend to tend to stay with the mum most of the time. And then it's quite hard for that mother to build up like a, a network and a social life outside of the kids. Whereas here, I know a lot of mothers miss their kids during that week off, but um, they do get the chance to socialize and, and meet new people and, and the same for dads, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I just like in general, all these different themes, like you said, no place is perfect, but some of these themes here that I'm, that I'm hearing just pro provide a, a wonderful platform for any person 
to have a better chance at entrepreneurship. And it's just very, very inspiring to me compared to some of the hurdles that we have here uh, in, in the United States. So what's next for you? How can we support you? Your podcast is awesome. Maybe that continues. Maybe it doesn't. What, you know, what's next and, and how do we support you? <laughs> um, well, I have a website, maddysavage.com, and you can find all of my work there. The stuff I do, uh, my major clients are the BBC, um, NPR Radio, and Monocle Magazine, so you can check out the work that I've done there. And it's always good if your stories get a lot of clicks, because um, you're then welcomed as a freelancer to do more work for them. I would love to find a sponsor for uh, season four of the Stockholmer. One of the main issues for me has been that because I work for so many public service programs. It's very hard for me to sort of haul myself around um, looking for money from a company um, because I might want to write about that company in future and I need to be seen as very impartial. So that's been a challenge for me and um, one of the reasons that I kind of paused um, the show because I'd rather spend my time researching ideas and interviewing people and pitching stories than, you know, trying to get money. But ultimately that's what you need uh, in order for a a podcast to be uh, a success. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy living in Sweden and I really love coming up with creative ideas and digging beneath the surface. So um, I'd also love to hear from anyone listening that is in Sweden that has any ideas uh, for stories that are, are yet to cover. Yeah, anybody that has fresh perspectives on, on the differences between living in the Nordics and, and living elsewhere. But I think, yeah, follow me on Twitter, at Maddie Savage, check out my website, maddiesavage.com. Any likes, comments, or clicks are really, really appreciated. Keep listening um, to as many podcasts as you can because I really think these are a great way of enriching our lives. And one of the great things about podcasts is that you can, as most of you listening to this podcast will know, you can listen to them anywhere on the subway, when you're doing the cooking, in the bath. And for me, that's also a great tool in terms of work-life balance to get that cultural fix or that business fix or that intellectual fix. Thank you, Maddie. This has been wonderful. I, like, I have a lot of places on my list where I want to travel to next. And this has bumped up in, in spots for sure, both after reading your article and just hearing you talk about sort of the mindset and, and culture there. So you'll probably be one of the first people I contact when I <laughs> finally, finally decide to visit. Thanks for listening, and I hope I see you in the streets of Stockholm soon. Until then, check out Maddie's podcast episodes and articles on her website, Maddie Savage. That's M-A-D-D-Y-S-A-V-A-G-E dot com. Thanks, and remember to rest. <laughs>